Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com slash Sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One of the topics that we're going to find discussed in Lactantius's On the Anger of God is virtues and vices. Now, virtues typically are understood as good character traits, qualities of a person, vices as their opposites, bad or evil character traits, dispositions, whatever we want to call them. And Lactantius is going to tell us that, you know, there aren't any vices in God, Although there is anger in God, which means that there is a possibility for anger to be virtuous because God is completely virtuous. The question then is, well, what about us human beings? We can be indeed on either side of vice or virtue. And he's going to reference this and some connected ideas throughout the treatise. I should point out that he also talks about this in his much longer institutions or institutes and that you can find to some degree a fuller treatment there. Here, we're particularly interested in the relation between, you know, the parts of the human being. And so he begins by telling us in chapter 19, where this is being most addressed, that the human being is composed of body and soul. And this presents certain problems because for Lactantius, at least, these are going to be aligned with virtues and vices of the person. So he says, because the human being is made up of two parts, body and soul, the virtues are contained in the one, namely in the soul, and the vices in the other, the body, and they mutually oppose each other, right? They, you could even say, combat each other, and they do so in vicum, that is mutually. They're not inactive, you could say. There's sort of a struggle going on within the human being. And so, you know, there's a big question, which way are we going to go? Are we going to go the way of the body or the way of the soul? And he says, the good properties or the goods, literally the bona of the soul consist in restraining the lusts, right? Libido is lust in that case, holding it back, right? And they're going to be contrary to the body. They are going to be opposite to it, oppose it, you could say, right? Whereas the goods in the body, the bona, and these are goods of the body, they're just not the good as such, consists in, as he says, all types of pleasures, right? Omnia genera, all the different sorts of pleasures. And here he uses a different term. Instead of just being opposed to, they are hostile to, they're enemies to the soul. Even though, if you think it through, they're also seductive. They're trying to bring the soul in to the purview of the body, trying to turn the the soul into maybe a mere appendage of it. So we've got some contrast, some opposition, even some enmity there going on. And so he goes on and he says, if the virtue of the soul resists these desires and suppress them, it'll be truly like to God. It'll 
be similar to God. And then he says, from which it is evident that the soul of the human being, which is capable of divine virtue, is not mortal. There's an immortal part of ourselves, but there is this distinction. What is the distinction? Since virtue is attended with bitterness, emaratudinum, right? Literally the taste of bitterness. Virtue is difficult. Virtue is not something that is immediately pleasing. And we should be very realistic about this, he thinks. Not pretend that virtue is inherently attractive to all human beings right off the bat. That's not the case. So because virtue is accompanied by or involves some sort of bitterness, a lot of people don't really want to cultivate it, right? They may even see it as bad. The attraction of pleasure is sweet. For the ancients, bitterness and sweetness, as far as taste, were on ends of a spectrum. You couldn't get further away from sweetness than bitterness. They didn't have the sort of foretaste idea that we had. As a matter of fact, in ancient times, a lot of people recognized seven, eight, nine, sometimes even more flavors to food, but they are usually arranged with bitterness on one end and sweetness on the other. Now, of course, virtue, once you practice it and you see the rewards is sweet, but most people, are attracted to pleasure because it feels nice, right? So there's a choice to be made, virtue or pleasure, and following pleasure is going to result in vice. So he says, great numbers are overcome and drawn aside to the pleasantness, but those who have given themselves up to the body and earthly things are pressed to the earth, unable to attain to the favor of the divine bounty. They have polluted themselves with the defilement of vices. So by pursuing the pleasures of the body to the exclusion of the virtues of the soul, well, you want wind up running into all sorts of problems. But on the other hand, if you, as he says, follow and obey God and despise or look down upon the desires of the body and prefer, choose, deliberately choose virtue to pleasures, you preserve innocence and righteousness. And those people aren't just like God. God recognizes them as being similar, at least as much as a human being can be, to God. So virtue, you know, is going to be the way up. It's the way of the soul. Vices are rooted in the body. They do infect the soul and bring it down, you could say. And then he's got a few other important discussions that take place leading up to this a little bit earlier on. There's this very interesting chapter 15 where he's dealing with the question, some may ask, why did sins extend to man or what perversion distorted the rule of the divine institution? to worse things so that the human being born to justice nevertheless performs unjust works. Now, justice and injustice, virtue and vice, right? Those are understood as that. And his answer to this is very interesting. He echoes something he said a little bit earlier. God put before or set before human beings good things and bad things, and then said, well, you have to actually decide between these. He didn't determine human choice. Like he said, God at the same time set before him these. He, God loves the good, hates the evil, which is contrary to that. But he permitted the evil on this account that the good also might shine forth. And here he goes into a discussion about opposites and contraries and how you need one in order to be able to appreciate or see the other. But then he 
he goes on and he brings up the body and soul again, right? He says, we are composed of two substances, soul and body, one of which is assigned to the heaven because it's slight and not to be handled, the other to the earth because it's capable of being laid hold of. The one is firm and eternal, the other frail and mortal. Good clings to one and evil to the other, light, life, and justice to the one, darkness, death, and injustice to the other. So once again, we have the body and soul opposition. And so he says, this is why there arose among human beings the corruption of their nature, and this made it necessary that a law should be established, a law by God, right? And we could parse this out in different ways. What's important here, the law actually does two things with respect to virtue and vice. It prohibits vices, don't do this, don't be this way, don't do this sort of thing. And it actually commands, you know, imperi is the Latin, the virtues. It, it tells human beings, you need to behave in this way. You need to cultivate this sort of character and mindset and temperament. So he says, there are good and evil things in the affairs of human beings. It must be that God has moved to both sides to favor when he sees just things are done, virtuous things are done, to anger when he perceives unjust things, right? In the next chapter, chapter 16, where Lactantius is talking about whether God can feel anger, he says that God doesn't feel certain emotions, although he does feel other emotions. Why? What's the differentiating factor? Some emotions are virtuous, or capable of being virtuous, and others are vicious. So, you know, he says, for example, here we go, there are some affections to which God is not liable. What are they? Desire, fear, avarice, grief, envy. Why is he not subject to these? Because they're vicious affections. They are the way that vice manifests itself. But as to those which belong to virtue, and he, he talks about three right here, anger, towards the wicked, not just anger per se or anger at anybody whatsoever, but anger towards the bad, the malos, right? What else? Love or caritas towards the good. That is a virtuous emotion as well. And then pity towards the afflicted, right? So these are good ways of being. These fit in with virtue. Those other emotions that we mentioned not so good, right? Some of them, like envy, always going to be bad. In chapter 18, leading up to the discussion in chapter 19, he's going to tell us some other things. He mentions that there are people who are ignorant of the ends of good and evil things. Now, this is a very important term in ancient philosophy, and you can say in ancient culture more broadly within you know, the Mediterranean and, and Near East. The intellectual culture talked about the ends, the fines, or the tele, right? of goods and evil. Understanding that what we mean by this are things like, like happiness or misery, right? What does ultimate happiness, blessedness consist in? What does unhappiness or misery consist in? Goods and bads. So there are some goods, like, you know, like for example, pleasure, right? Pleasure can be understood, like he said, as a good of the body, but it's not the good per se. There is a greater good that may require you to forego or subordinate or limit pleasure. So being ignorant of the ends of goods and evils means being ignorant of the right understanding of this. It's possible to have distorted, mistaken understandings of this. And what is going to 
happen if that's the case? Well, he tells us a few things. One of these has to do with the pleasures, right? He says that they enjoy sensual desire, you know, libido again, for the purposes of corruption and pleasures, voluptates. We wind up directing our desire to those pleasures that we want to enjoy. So maybe we eat too much, we're gluttonous or we're lustful or, you know, we're greedy, we're trying to store too many resources for ourselves and depriving others. But we can also go wrong if we're ignorant of these things with respect to anger. There is vicious anger possible for human beings. He says they make use of anger and passion, affectu in this case, for what? For inflicting of injury, injury to other people. And he says, uh, while they're angry with those they regard with hatred. And this leads into vicious behavior. Prime example of this, they are angry even with those who commit no offense, even with their equals or even with their superiors. They daily rush to monstrous deeds, hence tragedies often arise. And if you actually look at Greek tragedies, you see an awful lot of like anger, going in the wrong direction at the wrong person, leading to all sorts of problems, right? So it's possible for us to become vicious by not understanding how we ought to behave. And he goes on and he talks about, you know, self-restraint and times when we can, you know, be involved in virtue. And then he says, we have to avoid vice being mingled with frailty. Once again, we see this theme coming up derived from the earth for able to preserve pure and uncontaminated that which we've received from God, unless we're imbued with the precepts of justice from the same God. So the divine guidance, as we've seen earlier, helps to lead us away from vice and towards virtue to prioritizing the soul and its virtues and deprioritizing, you know, lowering in the scale of preference, the pleasures that the body would otherwise direct us towards, which get us into vices and all sorts of trouble. So for human beings, we certainly are capable of virtue or vice, but we have to choose to prioritize things in the right way. And this is what wisdom, practical wisdom, in fact, consists in. And we have guidance for doing so that allows us to avoid vices, particularly vices concerned with how we manage our anger. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.